0: In the clinical arena, discussions on breast cancer often center on whatever's cutting edge, from genetic mechanisms of disease to new combination pharmacotherapies to breast conserving surgical methods, but there's another field of consideration that is commonly neglected, despite increasing evidence to its importance in breast cancer risk profiling, and that topic is nutrition. Today, we're going to explore the connections between nutrition and breast cancer and see how new understandings are starting to impact clinical perspectives. You're listening to ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me at Omnia Education's Women's Health Annual Visit in Chicago is Dr. Edward Sauter. He's a professor of surgery and director of the Cancer Treatment and Prevention Center at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Tyler in Tyler, Texas. Dr. Sauter, welcome to the program today.
1: Uh, Thank you, Dr. Bernholtz. So just to start, why don't
0: we define nutrition as it relates to breast cancer? Because I understand that you like to think of it along two lines, that of what we're eating, and how much.
1: Yeah, they're both important. And the good thing about nutrition is that it gives the individual some control over their health. What can I do to affect my risk favorably? But we know that the amount that we eat is important in risk, and we think, but not, it's not as well shown that what we eat is important. For you, which do you think might be more important to
0: breast cancer risk? I mean, which aspect of nutrition here, the how much or the what?
1: I would say that in terms of what we know for sure, how much we eat is more important. It's been well shown that uh, overweight in postmenopausal women increases breast cancer risk. Uh, That's beyond reasonable doubt. In terms of what we eat in our diet, however, that's been harder to tease out. And the reason why is because it's hard to control for all of the variables in our diet that matter. And not only that, but where you grow something matters in terms of what it's composed of. If you grow uh, broccoli in Chicago, it's going to have a different composition than broccoli in Louisiana, for example.
0: Right. And we hear claims from everywhere about every type of food, um, from real sugars and insulin spikes, how that might relate to cancer risks, to false sugars, and how they might contribute to certain cancer risks, to certain vegetables, which were cancer protective, and then the next year appear to be cancer engendering. (laughs) What is your response to that when you see all the hoopla in the media about cancer risks from foods?
1: Well, foods that affect insulin levels may indeed be related to the insulin-like growth factor, which we know stimulates breast cancer. So if we have to remember that cancer cells like growth factors, and they grow <laughs> better than normal cells. And so whenever a food product or something that affects our blood sugar level stimulates insulin... It's also stimulating their, its growth factor. And so that's one of the ways that diet influences risk. Can you describe
0: any other ways in which um, maybe other clinicians aren't aware of that diet can potentially <coughs> influence
1: risk? Well, um, there are many uh, physicians, scientists, and, and basic scientists studying this, and I, I am one of the many. So I am not going to cover the landscape, but I can mention a few studies which we've looked at which we think are interesting. One of the dietary products that's best studied is vitamin D. Um, There's a lot of data out there suggesting that high vitamin D levels decrease cancer risk, including breast cancer risk. And um, it is crystal clear that the farther away you go from the equator, the higher your cancer risk. And um, the obvious difference there is temperature and sunlight and the dose of sunlight you're getting in the conversion of vitamin D. So that was sort of the basis for looking at studies. It's still not definitively sorted out, but suffice it to say that um, you know, there is increasing evidence that vitamin D may have some role, higher levels in decreasing the risk of some cancers. But that's ongoing. We know that dietary products, these are individual chemicals as opposed to whole foods. Whole foods certainly have a role, but again, each broccoli's got 5,000 chemicals, and the interaction they're in is is very difficult, if not impossible, to try to sort through. So we almost have to tease out what's the active ingredient or ingredients in a particular food product. One of them that's been of interest to many people, including myself, is a product called resveratrol. It's present in the skin of red grapes and, and peanuts and peanut butter. Um, and it's most concentrated in a root called Japanese knotweed. And the reason why a lot of us got interested in, in it, it was because if you give resveratrol to an animal with cancer, it goes away almost, if not completely, shrinks dramatically. Consistently, this is true, including in mammary cancer. And it makes small animals and fruit flies live a lot longer.
0: It has been touted as the fountain of youth type right. of compound, right. has it and not?
1: Right, right. So it makes you live longer and you will never get cancer. I mean, that's the cell. I'm and how does it actually bear out? Well, in humans, we, you know, it's unclear. But what we do know about it, or at least what we found, and we looked at high-risk women. These are women at increased risk of breast cancer. And what it did in this group of women, in the breast of these women that are at high risk for breast cancer, was that it seemed to upregulate tumor suppressor genes. Now, tumor suppressor genes, as you know, they're, they're basically to decrease the risk of getting cancer, including breast cancer. And so, uh, obviously, follow-up studies are needed to confirm that. But that would be an interesting mechanism by which it might indeed decrease cancer risk. Interesting. when we
0: talk about compounds that are being studied actively, with, such as resveratrol
1: and diets in general, Does the factor of age play any role? It does. There was a large study done not too long ago about protein intake, actually, and determining does a high-protein diet alter cancer risk. And it ended up being it depends on how old you are. So it turns out that if between the ages of 50 and 65... Um, a high-protein diet uh, increases cancer risk dramatically. And the reason why uh, that probably is the authors hypothesized was because it gave more building blocks for growth factors. So if you had all of these individual precursor cancer cells or precancerous cells, it allowed them to further grow toward invasion or toward more tumor cells. Uh, These were people who were generally healthy, by the way, between 50 and 65. However, in the older population, over 65 is frailty. There, you know, became a bigger factor. Um, High-protein diets actually decreased risk. And um, the hypothesis there was essentially that frailty and weakness and decreased immune systems actually lower the guard of the individual and increase their cancer risk, whereas protein actually provided the building blocks in these frail individuals to fend off their cancer. So at least in terms of protein and its relationship to growth factors in the body, Uh, age matters. And in younger populations, I'm sure some people hear
0: high-protein diets and they immediately think of certain subsets such as bodybuilding individuals, people who are all about high-protein diets all the time. Did anything ever be studied with them or as any um, in the younger populations that are very into fitness, for instance? Well,
1: again, high-protein diets have been looked, obviously, but not so much related to cancer because cancer incidence is low in that younger population. So your cohorts are much tougher. And really, you you know, the focus was on who gets cancer. You know, so in that younger group, even if, you know, no matter what you do to them, they're just not going to develop that many cancers. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to study. Yeah.
0: Uh, But I imagine retrospective analyses might be available for people who are in their 50s and 60s who um, develop cancers and then get looked back and say what kind of um, patterns did you have dietarily? Good point.
1: I have not seen those studies. They may mm-hmm. exist. I, I don't know. It would be interesting to look though. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reach MD, and I'm Dr. Matt
0: Bernholtz. I'm joined by Dr. Edward Sauter from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Tyler and we're talking about nutrition and breast cancer. Uh, so, Dr. Sauter, we just started to move in on this a little bit. Why don't we start to concentrate on obesity for a little while. Sure. Um, What has research
1: borne out regarding obesity and breast cancer risk? So uh, it's clear that um, gaining weight after menopause uh, increases breast cancer risk. Um, It's thought that that's because um, it increases the amount of aromatase in fat cells and aromatases uh, converts the precursors from the adrenal gland into estrogen compounds. Not estradiol, but estriol and estrone, but basically increases circulating levels of estrogen. We know that obese women, on average, have much higher circulating estrogen levels than thinner women postmenopausally, and they don't have ovarian estrogen any longer, so the primary source of estrogen is from the adrenal adrenal conversion, and essentially... um, uh, is a direct correlation? The more obese a woman is postmenopausal, the greater her risk.
0: And is this for all postmenopausal women, or a subset of women with other particular risk factors?
1: Well, um, you know, there are greater risks if they have other risk factors like diabetes. It appears that diabetes also increases a woman's risk of breast cancer. And, and again, it's complex. It's probably both because they tend to overweight, but also because they have insulin-like growth factor, which stimulates breast cancer. And so they kind of get a double whammy, unfortunately, with their diabetes.
0: And premenopausal women, uh, why yes. why do
1: we see a
0: lessened risk in that case?
1: Well, because the primary source of estrogen is the ovary. It's not the adrenal gland. And so any influence of obesity is going to be lessened. Uh, and not only that, but extra ovarian estrogen can, may even mess up the secretion of estrogen from the ovary. And so it ends up being a little bit more complicated. However, even though it doesn't obviously increase risk of breast cancer in the premenopausal group, there are pretty good studies suggested it increases chance of death if you develop it. This is
0: great. I mean, you've given us an enormous amount of information in this short time. And, and what that brings me to is the idea of applying some of these understandings, if we can, to clinical practice. Um, How does this role of nutrition and breast cancer risk impact your recommendations, per se, um, and preventative strategies for
1: patients? So the first thing is uh, do your best not to gain weight. It also appears that exercise works in combination with nutrition uh, toward minimizing breast cancer risk. Uh, In both pre- and postmenopausal women, and especially postmenopausal women, so I strongly encourage them to stay active and exercise. Um, Especially women who've had breast cancer, it's very clear that exercise decreases, uh, improves quality of life, and appears to improve quantity of life. So, especially in my breast cancer survivors that I see in my clinic, I send them to our. We have a Fit for Life program, which essentially means that any cancer survivor can have go to an exercise program for the rest of their lives for free and if uh, your community has anything along those lines i would strongly recommend that you send these women to that
0: and this ties back nicely to the discussion we had earlier where you mentioned that how much you're eating really seems to lend more towards breast cancer risk rather than what but if you were put in the situation which i'm sure you have been many times of recommending certain diets or what to eat Um, such as an idealized nutrition scenario for your patients, is there any evidence supporting specific diets' roles in preventative medicine for breast cancer?
1: Well, uh, again, I would recommend they use the sort of the USDA guidelines. I mean, there is some evidence that high-fat diets may, I underline may, increase risk, so I wouldn't have a high-fat diet. Uh, Some fat is useful.
0: And you say may because is the
1: research not totally compelling for you? Correct. It's not totally compelling. It's inconsistent. High glycemic diets have the issue of raising insulin levels and increasing insulin-like growth factor levels. As we talked about, Protein, high protein might depend upon the age of the woman, so it's complicated. So obviously you don't want to have too much of any of those components in your diet, but most importantly, don't gain weight. (laughs) Not too many calories.
0: (laughs) All things in moderation and don't gain weight. Yes. It seems like the best type of recommendation one could give at this time.
1: <laughs> exactly. Sometimes harder to practice than to tell, though.
0: <laughs> well, I very much want to thank my guest, Dr. Edward Sauter, for helping us explore nutrition's emerging roles in breast cancer risk assessment and prevention. It's great to have you with us today, Dr. Sauter. Thanks, Dr. Bernholtz. This is ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. For comments and questions or to download this interview, visit us at ReachMD.com. And thanks again for listening.